what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith and i'm your other co-host Corey tyndall and this week we are joined by william holler hey it's me hi william how are you hi mj i'm very hot today yes it is very hot <laughs> yes um, although it's pretty cool back here so <laughs> yeah you were here to talk about warcraft and you are something of a warcraft fan we're excited to have you on. yes i am an old old school warcraft fan not okay. one of those hipsters that plays like warcraft or world of warcraft okay i'm the the, old the, the original okay got it so <laughs> that that makes you kind of perfect for this yeah because my understanding is it's based more on that first warcraft game than anything mm. but we'll get into the lore a little bit later mm-hmm. um right now uh have you guys been watching anything this week william oh uh i get to go first yes yeah. last night i watched this movie uh, with my wife called Me Before You. Oh! <laughs> it's, um, it's about a quadriplegic, um, you know the guy who played Finnick in Hunger Games? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Finnick is paralyzed, I assume, because of the Hunger Games. Oh, okay. It's uh, <laughs> a hard life. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, Khaleesi from Game of Thrones is his caretaker, and she falls in love with him. And, uh, are, do we have spoilers on this? Is this a big chick flick podcast? No, it's not. He dies. He dies at the end. He chooses to kill himself uh, oh. so that she can run free and have a happy life without him. Oh, wow. Uh, which led to a very deep and sad discussion between my wife and I about, like, if one of us were to be quadriplegic. Mm. Um, so that was a fun... Uh, it, was, it was actually a fun evening. Wow. Uh, I, I liked it more than I thought I would. That's good. I. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. We were talking about... Um, movies and and we ended up going to see pop star friday night but we'll talk about that in a second i have because i have questions about me before you mm-hmm. we watched the trailer about me before you and one of the last genres of movie that i have yet to crack is the romance movie mm-hmm. and um we watched the trailer and i said this movie may as well be called he dies at the end <laughs> and uh, my wife made the very astute observation that I think he chooses to do the, like, human euthanasia thing in it. And I was like, really? And I looked it up. Totally what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was hilarious. But also, um, one of the things I read in the plot synopsis is that, uh, and I'm wondering if they kept this in the movie, her reason for being scared of hedge mazes. Uh, that played no what? part in the movie. Okay, so, because he, like, lives in a castle, yeah. right? And uh, he, he wants to go, in the book, he wants to go into a hedge maze that's mm-hmm. on the castle grounds. And she's like, no, I had, like, a bad experience. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And it's, she was gang raped in a hedge maze. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. It sounds like a rap song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. MJ's like, I don't know what to say. Um, no, in, in, in the movie, she was definitely like not... The mo- it could have been a PG-rated movie. Okay. I don't understand why it was PG-13. There was no sex. There was no language. There was no drinking. Okay. As far as I remember. Like, was there like a little bit of profanity or something? No. No? Like, I think if they had not rated it PG-13, then people would not want to see it. Cause, or they might bring their kids to it, and they just... And the kids would be bored. Yeah. And as an adult, I was kind of bored. <laughs> yeah, so... I- 
Yeah, I, I read that and I was like, the movie, like, that's base level depressing enough with the self-euthanasia thing. Like, we don't need to add gang rape to the head Yeah, it's like, that's horrible. That's, that's, that's so manipulative, I feel like. I don't know, did you feel like the movie itself was pretty manipulative? Um, manip- I don't know, it just seems like a paint by the numbers kind of thing. Mm. It was very predictable. Um, as far as chick flicks go, it's not, I mean, I, I appreciate romance movies. Yeah. But I'm like old school, like... Sleepless in Seattle. Mm. While you were sleeping, I don't know why sleeping was so big in the yeah. house. Yeah. Um, You've got mail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you got mail. It was so great. Tom Hanks, Meg yeah. Ryan, like all the. Uh, yeah. Kate and Leopold. I've never seen that. Surprisingly good. Is that the one with Hugh Jackman and Meg Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When yeah. he's like a time traveler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird stuff. But this one is just, <laughs> it was like a pale imitation of Fifty Shades of Grey, which I have never seen. I hope to never see. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But it did seem kind of like fan fiction where they had copied and replaced. Uh, some names. Oh, okay. Just like for Fifty Shades. Yeah, yeah. Because it's literally fan fiction, that one. Yeah. Yep. 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 Corey, what about you? Uh, I've not really watched anything this week. I mean, it's just been... I had a crazy busy week, and it was Hannah's birthday over the weekend, so... Happy birthday, Hannah. Yay! <laughs> Happy birthday, wife. So, yeah, I haven't really watched a ton. Um, I think I might go see Ninja Turtles tonight, so we'll see. <laughs> The thing is, you have to at some yes, point. Yes, yes, before we record, so it, it's inevitably going to happen. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ooh, man. Uh, yeah. So I did see Ninja Turtles, but you guys can find our talk about that on the YouTube page. I saw a pop star, colon, Never Stop Never Stopping, <laughs> which is the Lonely Island movie. Um, and it follows the story of Connor for real, like Connor the number four, real, yeah. all, all one name. And it's a mockumentary style. It's very much set up uh, as a parody of Justin Bieber's documentary, which I think was called Never Say Never. Yeah, um, yeah. And he plays this sort of, like, hybrid Justin Bieber, Justin Timberlake character mm-hmm. in it, and, but also to an extreme degree, because it's a comedy. Yeah. And it's hilarious. I thought it was so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's very much a Lonely Island movie. So if you know who the Lonely Island are and you're familiar with their work... You get what you pay for. It's exactly what it seems like it would be if The Lonely Island made a movie. Um, since he's a pop star, they're able to do the songs that The Lonely Island is famous for. Uh, and that's the best part of the movie because they're so well made that if you took the songs in the movie and gave them inane lyrics instead of offensive lyrics, <laughs> they would just be songs you would hear on the radio. Mm. They really would. Um, there's also a really good economy to their storytelling. It's an, only an 86-minute movie. And comedies work better when they're short. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, like, it's under 90 minutes. And so it works really well. The Even when the jokes don't land, it's such a perfect setup payoff machine that you kind of appreciate the shape and the craft of the jokes yeah. more than, like, laughing at the jokes, really. So the movie's, like, a couple really big laughs away from being an instant classic. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but it's such a perfect, like, if you like comedy writing at all, and you're interested in, like, the form of a joke, you should probably see this movie, because there's stuff that they set up at the beginning that pays off at the end, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, there's all these quick setup and payoffs throughout that. Yeah. So it does this really nice blend of um, get them in, hit them quick jokes, and also these sort of long, longer bits that play over the, the full narrative of the movie. Yeah. And it does it really um, deftly, and I like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's also got quite a bit of heart to it. Like, the characters are all likable enough. Mm-hmm. Like, Andy Samberg's supposed to be this huge kind of D-baggy guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, 
you also get this weird interior life with him when he's reading reviews of his new album and they're super not positive. You can tell it like hurts him. Yeah. Because he does want to put stuff out there that he people like. <laughs> and so you kind of root for the guy and um there's weirdly, weirdly, there's really good world building in this movie. Really? Yeah, they set up um a couple characters that could potentially have spin-offs. The movie tanked. And no mm-hmm. one saw it. It opened to number eight this weekend. Wow. And it it didn't do as well as anyone wanted it to, so I doubt that's going to be a thing. Yeah. But they set up, like, Emma Stone as a Lady Gaga type. And they set up Weird Al as the leader of this kind of, like, older burnout band <laughs> um, who still is selling out stadiums for some reason, yeah. even though they probably shouldn't be. Aerosmith. They're supposed yeah. to be Aerosmith. <laughs> um, they're called Hammerleg. And, uh, oh, that's, he, that's they, there's one scene with them in the movie, but there's another reference to them that Hammerleg is kind of following the same tour path as Connor for Real, and they're selling out shows, and Connor for Real is not. Yeah. And so it sounds like there's, there's something else behind that that's more of a rivalry between the two. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, there's potential for sequels in there, and I think it's super smart to set that up. But, mm. I don't know. It was, it's, it's worth watching if you're a comedy fan, for sure. I mean, it's yeah. Lonely Island, so it's very R-rated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not quite as R-rated as I actually in, originally anticipated it to be, but it's still R-rated. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, content warning on that. And, uh, yeah, I watched a couple other things this week. Um, a couple comedy specials. Bo Burnham has a new special on Netflix. Um, Quincy Jones released his first special. He is a comedian with cancer who doesn't know if he's going to live or die. Oh. And his big dream was to release at least one comedy special before he died. Yeah. And so he did. It came out Thursday night on HBO. And Mm -hmm. we watched it on HBO. HBO Go. You can tell it's a first-timer comedian. There's a lot of awkward pauses. And he was on a podcast that I listened to and said that he cobbled it together in two weeks. Oh, wow. And it seems like he cobbled it together in two weeks. Yeah. There's some stuff that lands and a lot that doesn't. But... Um, it's pretty cool that he was given the opportunity, uh, yeah. given his situation. So, yeah, that's about it. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's talk some news. Let's talk some news. Rogue One is going into re- reshoots, and oh, no, the world's ending. is pooping their pants. The world's ending, MJ. What are we gonna do? It's oh, not gonna man. be a good Star Wars movie. It's uh, Disney's trying to change the tone. What's going on? Uh, there's so much. All right. Oh. So it's going into reshoots, <laughs> and it's uh the the term reshoots has become this kind of death sentence yes. in the internet, like kind of social media public sphere. Yeah, it's it's uh to to an insane degree. Um, you know, the two big z- examples people point to recently is Fantastic Four, yeah, and Batman v Superman. And there was a little bit of like Suicide Squad had to have a couple. Yeah, Suicide Squad is reshooting supposedly to add more jokes. Yeah. Um, in the wake of Batman v Superman yep. being not super well regarded. Yeah. And it. I don't know. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, and so as a result, these movies kind of have this stigma on like if it goes into reshoots, then there's something inherently wrong with the movie and they're bad. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about Rogue One going into reshoots? Um, and you know, it's like you and I have talked about this. I don't think reshoots immediately mean like a death sentence because sometimes there's just something that maybe they like overlooked or they're just like, hey, we'd like to do this one thing to maybe expand like the scene or give a character more depth or something. So I don't immediately like 
hear reshoots and I'm like, oh my gosh, the movie's terrible. But I guess more of my concern comes in where where it was like, it's Disney who like ordered these reshoots, right? Because it didn't feel tonally matching to, they said, The Force Awakens. And that 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 gets me a little bit nervous because I think you and I had talked about Rogue One, maybe even on the podcast a little bit, that I liked that it was kind of going in this darker, like, different direction and, you know... It was it was kind of cool to see Rogue One being like set in the Star Wars universe, but kind of being like its own entity. And it's like, oh, we're getting to see like the grittiness of war, and it's not really about like the Jedi and the Sith so much in this uh, movie. So I mean, that kind of worries me a little bit, but I mean, I'm still like mostly optimistic about this. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where I am. Yeah. What about you, William? Uh, so I mean, I'm optimistic as well. Uh, the the reasons that I read that Disney ordered reshoots was because the test audiences really didn't like the movie. It was a different kind of thing, mm-hmm. which, you know, as a fan, I'm like, well, that's great. That sounds like, you know, the Edge of the Empire Star Wars RPGs we've yeah, been where you're yeah. playing as these like, scoundrels and you're getting into trouble. Um, but they want what they call a um, four-quadrant mm-hmm. movie yeah. that appeals to every single audience. And so I get where they're coming from, where Disney is basically printing money with Star Wars and they want the broadest appeal. Yeah. Um, at, but then again... Disney also has a tendency, from what I've seen, with their Marvel franchises, um, to really put good people behind the helm of these things. And yes. So I think that we're going to have a good movie that is probably less satisfying to that darker adult fan. Yeah. But it's still going to be a good film, just because I trust the leadership behind um, their movie projects. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, Bob Iger makes really smart decisions. He's an incredible businessman. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, but that raises a, a, a question that I I think uh, we should probably address in, in you know, you're talking about you want something that appeals to every audience. Is it enough to put a Star Wars label on it and people like people will see it or will only the hardcore fans see it if you just put a Star Wars label on it? Well, I know that um, many people who are, let's say, high school age, who mm-hmm. I know, had never even seen a Star Wars movie before The Force Awakens came out. That was my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. And so... Um, like, for many of them, it was the first time they'd ever seen one. They didn't know what it was. They, they kind of knew, like, oh, Luke, I'm your father. Just snippets. Um, but oh, I know, crazy. personally, we had a Star Wars marathon um, with something like 20 kids and um, probably aged 16 to 20. Um, and the majority of them had either never seen Star Wars or they had never seen the entire double trilogy or they had only seen, like, one or two movies. And so, including, wow. including my wife, who had never seen it, but she was very excited to see it. Um, and so... I, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> the question was, is it enough to just put a Star Wars label on it right now? Because I feel like it's enough to just put Marvel on something and people are going to go see it. Yeah. Um, but Star Wars is one of those, I mean, maybe it's a generational thing where I totally grew up in this huge Star Wars fandom. Mm-hmm. And so to me, mm-hmm. I feel like you can just put the Star Wars label on it and people are going to go see it. And yeah. then they have to deal with whatever that movie is. Yeah. I don't, I, like, I don't necessarily feel like they have to craft star wars into fitting into a certain box yeah you know i think if people if you put star wars the label on it people will go see it but Mm -hmm. maybe not um especially with teenagers who have the most disposable income yeah you got to get that young demographic because then the you know they're going to have their kids watch it and Mm -hmm. so on yeah Um, i think that star wars is not really the place for an artistic new vision of you know some strange project Mm-hmm. Um, I think if Disney's going to have that happen, then they're going to have a TV series or they're going to have a, like the animated cartoon Rebels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they do all kinds of weird stuff that is not mass market, but it's still very pleasing to the fans. Um, and so I think as the big blockbuster, you know, their yearly Star Wars movie, they're not going to experiment 
in any grand way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, I was inherently fine with the Rogue One reshoots because most major movie productions budget and build into their shooting schedules reshoot times. Mm-hmm. Force Awakens went into reshoots. Oftentimes reshoots just mean insert shots mm-hmm. that they weren't able to get when they were in a specific location because they had to worry, and especially on these big sci-fi blockbuster action movies, you're in these like super exotic locations, you usually have a limited time, you're on a fixed uh, yeah. schedule. So you want to get all these action sequences shot, and then you go in and reshoots, and you shoot all the close-ups and the things that connect you and ground you into the story, and you yeah. shoot all the emotional reactions and stuff. J.J. Yeah. Um, Abrams, when he was on The Nerdist earlier this year, he was talking about when they were filming the, the 2009 Star Trek, and that scene where young Kirk steals the car and he goes off the cliff and he goes, my name is James Tiberius Kirk or whatever. And he jumps off the, the, the car onto the cliff. J.J. Abrams was saying that when they first shot that, they had no close-ups of the kid reacting to any of the stuff. Hmm. It was just the faraway, big, wide-lens action because they were only in that set for a few days. Yeah. And so they had to get all the action done because that was the important thing about that set. They later went on a back lot and got the same car and just shot the kid up close and yeah. put it, like, spliced it in. And if you go back and rewatch the scene, you can totally tell <laughs> that they did that. Not in a bad way. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't know, you're not going to notice. But if you do know, you can totally see mm-hmm. where um, where they made those decisions. And it ultimately makes you care about what's going on with the kid mm-hmm. more. So that's what a lot of these reshoots are for. I think uh, we're way too scared now about yeah. <laughs> about reshoots and then also um anthony bresnikan from entertainment weekly is the go-to scoop guy for star wars in hollywood um he broke so many scoops that ended up being correct about uh force awakens and he wrote an article called what's true and false about the reshoots for rogue one and he basically reported that everyone is because there was there was this this rumor that 40 percent of the movie was going to be reshot. No way. What? Yeah. No. no. He said that everyone he talked to at Lucasfilm was like, what are you talking about? That would be insane. And there's no way we would adhere to our December release date if yeah. we shoot that much of the movie again. Mm-hmm. It's just too effects heavy and you'd have to render out so much stuff again. Yeah. They would not be able to meet it. Um, there was also a rumor that Christopher McQuarrie, the screenwriter, had not finished writing the script by the time they had... Uh, what? By the time they went to <laughs> shoot it, which is not uncommon on these Marvel movies uh, because... Iron Man 1 didn't have a complete script by the time they first started mm-hmm. shooting, and neither did Iron Man 2. It shows a little bit more in Iron Man yeah. 2. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, that was a big rumor, and Christopher Morquarry was on Twitter, and he was like, hearing a lot of bullcrap, you guys. You know where to find me. I'm easily available on the internet. Yeah. Why are you breaking all these dumb rumors <laughs> right now? And uh, then it was rumored that J.J. Abrams was going to come by, and oversee the reshoots. What? Much like Steven Spielberg oversaw the uh, production of oh, Poltergeist, which means he ghost-directed Poltergeist. That, uh, that's a really good time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then it became like, oh, J.J. Abrams is going to secret times direct 40% of, <laughs> of Rogue One. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Anthony Bresnikan's thing is, none of that is happening. Um, they are bringing on someone to consult with him. But uh, it's not it's not anything big. They're keeping the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, according to all his sources in Lucasfilm, the war the war movie tone is not going away. Disney's not ordering these reshoots because they were unhappy with the tone. They're strictly just tightening everything up, um, doing a punch up job on the script, and 
getting some of the in- in- insert shots that they need mm-hmm. to like ground the movie into character reactions and stuff. So yeah. that's what's actually going on <laughs> with the Rogue One uh, reshoots. And uh, if you like, if you if you want to read the whole article, it's a really good article. It's called uh, "What's True and What's False About." The Rogue One. Uh, What's true and false about the reshoots for Rogue One: A Star Wars Story by Anthony Bresnikan, and it's on uh, EntertainmentWeekly.com. Go check it out. I think it'll alleviate a lot of your fears. Um, but no, it still <laughs> hasn't stopped the internet. Um, the last night I was reading stuff that they're completely kicking Gareth Edwards off directing duties on what? these reshoots now. <laughs> what? There's no what? way that's none of that is happening. So. Wow. Trust Anthony Bresnikan. He uh, he is the go-to guy for scoops on Star Wars. So I think that's that's what it is. And stop freaking out about reshoots, everyone. The Force Awakens went into reshoots to get inserts. That's all. So the internet's crazy. Yeah, the man. It's just getting, this year, this year, the internet has just been insane. Calm down, 2016. <laughs> that's what you tweeted the other day. No, that was in response to Muhammad Ali dying. Oh, okay, which okay. is everyone's dying this year. Yeah. Is like 2016 to calm down. Oh. Um, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to go into the before and after show film school. Yep. Um, Corey is teaching this week, yes. and we are going to be talking about characters. Yeah. So we will be back after this. everybody and we're back with the before and after show film school hello yes so um <clears throat> so mj like quick recap like if people are listening for the first time what is film school what's the whole hard- sure the before and after show film <clears throat> school is the sort of pet project of ours <clears throat> that um we <clears throat> are on a quest with everything we do in regards to the before and after show to watch movies better and mm-hmm. this is really the heart of how we watch movies better, the before and after show film school. It's a very recent addition to the show, mm-hmm. um, but I love it. Yeah. And what it is is each before episode, uh, so the episode you're listening to currently, yes, is going to have this segment on it. And what that does is two things. It gives us two weeks to watch the movie in addition to all the movies we're watching for a summer movie yes. extravaganza. But also gives you two weeks to watch the movie, and we really want you guys to be watching these movies with yeah. us. We kind of know you're going to be seeing the Finding Dories and the uh, uh, Independence Day and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the Warcrafts, because I know yeah. what a huge Warcraft following I have now. Yes. Um, <laughs> And so we know that, that you guys are going to be watching a lot of these summer movies, and we really want you to take the time to find these movies we're talking about in the film school. Mm-hmm. So each week, or each before show, we trade off. Uh, yes. This week, Corey will be leading the lesson. Mm-hmm. And when Corey leads the lessons, he usually talks about an aspect of film structure. He's yeah. taught one lesson on this so far, and it was in the... Uh, film Stranger Than Fiction starring Will Ferrell. Yep. And we talked about uh, character... No. Narrative. Narrative. Yes. We talked about narrative structure. Yeah. We're talking about characters today. When I teach a lesson, I teach on some aspect of film history. Mm-hmm. We've been in the silent film era for 
the two I've done on that, mm-hmm. and I feel like we're going to be there for quite a while, actually. Uh, the more the more I branch out into that world, the more I'm learning that uh, we if we There's just so moved much on, to cover. Yeah, if we just moved on to talkies, we would be uh, really doing a disservice to a lot of great silent films. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I take it on the film history. Corey takes on the film theory. Yeah, and it's all in an effort to help us understand movies better and see yeah. where all this is coming from and what makes <clears throat> us react to a movie in a certain way. So, without further ado, Corey's going to be talking about characters today. Yes, characters. Um, I. And so I have my notes here, but <clears throat> kind of starts us off. I think characters are some of the most important aspects of a film because it's like a film, you know, of course there's other things like aesthetics of like how films are put together. And, you know, we talked about narrative structure last time when I was teaching and all of that stuff plays like a, a role in the film, you know, how it looks, how it feels, you know, in terms of how they move the camera around and do stuff, you know, whether it be like an action sequence or just staging of different things. All that stuff is important, but I think characters are hugely important because that's kind of like what endears us to the film in the sense of what is the story about? Like, what is going on? It's like, can I relate to one of the characters in there? Is the is the filmmaker trying to tell us something? And characters are usually the conduits where a lot of that stuff comes across. So characters are really important they're integral to how we connect relate see and experience like different themes and emotions and all the other types of stuff film conveys so today we're going to kind of walk through kind of the different types of characters and kind of their different the different roles characters can have and kind of like flush that out and define that more so then when you're watching a movie you might, you'll be able to like look and say like, oh, that's kind of like the main character and they're this type of character and they have this type of like personality. And so you'll kind of be able to flesh out these characters that you see on screen. And again, like MJ was just talking about, that will help us to watch and appreciate different aspects of film better that you might have missed or kind of just overlooked because you just didn't know about that. So... We're going to kind of start with the types of characters first. And the first one, the first two we're going to start with are probably the major ones that we all know about. And MJ, if you had to venture a guess, what am I going to say? Protagonist and antagonist? Yeah, protagonist and antagonist. Um, so you want to you wanna give me a quick rundown in your own words, protagonist and antagonist? Sure. Uh, protagonist is generally speaking, the person you root for. Yes. Um, however, sometimes they cannot be. Yep. So they're usually the main focus of the story. Yes. That's what a protagonist is. Even mm-hmm. if you disagree with their actions, yes. if the fo- focus of the story is them, then they are the protagonist. Yes. An antagonist is whatever gets in the way, whoever gets in the way of the protagonist accomplishing their ultimate goal that's been set up by the plot. Yes. And like we kind of mentioned a little bit when I was talking about plot and narrative structure, um, an antagonist doesn't necessarily have to be a person. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be, um, you know, an environment or it can be like some other obstacle that's not necessarily a human that the protagonist has to overcome. And I like... It can even be the protagonist. Yes, that's true. A lot of internal conflict, the different types of conflict that we looked at last time. Um, so yeah, there can be a lot of those things that kind of, they're not, they're not black and white. Sometimes there, there can be different like shades of gray in that. 
I like what you said about the protagonist not always being necessarily like a good person mm -hmm. because there's lots of things like I think of the show Breaking Bad. It, that's um, exactly where Walter, my brain went. Walter White is not a good man, um, <laughs> but he is very much a protagonist of that show. So sometimes those things get subverted. Um, yeah, so moving on from there, the protagonist and the antagonist, they are like kind of types of characters that relate to the plot. Um, very much when we say the antagonist and the protagonist, those things have to do with like how they function in the narrative of uh, the film that we're watching. Um, things that go along with that, which usually are tied to protagonist and antagonist, um, uh, the classification of a major character. So a major character is someone who has who plays a prominent role in the film that we're watching. Their actions have direct implications that move the plot forward or gives us new development to help us discover the different themes that are being explored or shared with us. Um, they move the plot forward, like I said, um, and they are the characters that when we talked about the plot narrative structure, they're the characters that kind of follow most of that plot structuring. So you have the inciting incident, you have the rising action, you have the climax. Most of that stuff revolves around major characters um, who are generally the protagonists and the antagonists. The other category of characters we have along with major characters are minor characters. And so a lot of the times um, they serve to complement the uh, main character and they come alongside them and they help them do things or sometimes they stand in to show a certain aspect of something to the main character um, but they're not necessarily like the focus they don't go on that whole journey um, you know of kind of like all the stuff I just mentioned in the narrative plot structure so those all those kind of aspects of the characters those are related to the plot and the narrative structure so now we're actually going to talk about characters like in general like as people as we see them as like the information that the film gives us so um we have two types of characters a dynamic character and a static character so just off the top of your head mj when you hear this static and dynamic character go uh dynamic character changes over the course of the narrative and a static character does not yes do does a dynamic character always have to be the protagonist. Not necessarily. I'm looking at you, Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Um, another good example is Ferris Bueller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, dynamic character, I think you summed it up, but it's a character that they change throughout the story. They go on the journey. Um, they're not the same. They're not in the same place at the end of the film as they are at the beginning. Most of the characters in Civil War. Yes. Are good examples yes. of dynamic characters. That is. Um, and yeah, and they're the characters that a lot of times the filmmakers use to explain their themes, to explore these different types of things that they want to talk about in their movies. Most of the time, dynamic characters are the characters that do that. And static characters, um, they don't really change. They kind of have a, they have a role. They kind of have the different things that they do. And that's about it. They don't go on a journey. They're the same, kind of like we mentioned, the Ghostbusters or Ferris Bueller. They don't really change. Um, their role is very fixed. They do a couple things, and that's all they do. And, again, those characters kind of relate to how the plot moves along. 
So getting more into like the nitty gritty of who these characters are, we have round characters and we have flat characters. And these, these two classifications of characters really relate to how much like information we get about them throughout the film. So kind of what we're told about the characters, if we're seeing the film more from their perspective, generally most of the time we'll see like, oh, that's a round character because they get developed and we learn kind of like their rhetoric, how they think about things, and we see the world more through their eyes. Whereas a flat character is, they're just very one-dimensional. Maybe sometimes they'll stand in to represent one thing. We don't learn a lot about them. We just learn that, oh, they do that one thing and they're, they act like this. And that's all, we don't get inside their head really. I have a question yes. about that. Um, so a flat character... Does that necessarily mean that they are devoid of any sort of an interior life? And by interior life, I mean they don't have a lot of screen time, but they do a couple things. Yeah. But then your brain kind of starts to run with it. Um, you know, that's the interior life. It happens in the interior of the viewer's skull. Yeah. Um, and you can see as a result, because you're in the interior of that character, it's called an interior life. Yeah. Does a flat character, can a flat character have that um, without necessarily having that interior life affect the plot in any sort of a direct or meaningful way? Yes, they can. Um, and that's, again, kind of going to that aspect of the grays. Everything's not white and black. And so you can have a character that kind of makes you think deeper in that sense, but the scenes that you get with them, like, in the film aren't really, like, we don't get the fleshed out, like, everything about them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're definitely, you can have a character that is a flat character by, like, the hard and fast rules that does make you kind of think more about them, get inside their head, like you were talking about. Okay. So. Yeah. Did you have, like, a character in mind you were thinking about? Um, he's not quite a flat character, as he directly <laughs> affects the plot by murdering Alexander Hamilton, but oh, I was thinking okay. about Aaron Burr and Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. um, he, you know, he has a couple songs over the course of the entire uh, show, but he very much, a lot of it happens inside, and so a lot of it is you have to think about what Burr has been going through while Hamilton has been doing all his stuff, yeah. since Hamilton is definitely the protagonist of all of it. Yeah. Um, you know, sure, Burr is the antagonist as well. Yeah. But you don't get a lot of time. You don't, you get no scenes with him away from Hamilton. You get, we well, get two song, two songs with him away from Hamilton. Mm -hmm. But none of that is him interacting with other characters. Really. Yeah. You don't see him with his wife. You don't see him with the, uh, the mother of, of his child. He exists kind of in this, this vacuum that is Hamilton's life. Yeah. In that play. And so he's, He's he was he is someone I would consider a flat character. Yeah, he's very but, much there to kind of like support and push like like kind of Hamilton's the main driving force in this play, and he's right. kind of there to come alongside him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But also, he's got this really interesting interior life where you see parallels in their life, and you see how much differently it's going for Burr versus Hamilton. So even when Hamilton's not necessarily around, you see Hamilton's life play out. You're like, oh man, Burr's going through this at the same time. Yeah. Which is a great segue into a foil character, MJ. Mm. Yeah. Um, so characters that are put into a film or a narrative that either like parallel the character, so you can kind of see things from a different vantage point, or sometimes they're characters that are very like directly the opposite of that character, which helps to reinforce maybe something about the main character that um, 
the audience can see more clearly, or maybe sometimes foils are used to show weaknesses mm. of main characters. Um, a big one that came to mind that I was thinking about having our homework assignment be is The Dark Knight. Uh, okay. The Joker and Batman are... Yeah, Joker and the Batman are very much foils. Yeah. And in what, what I would probably argue is a possible climax of that film, the interrogation scene, you mm -hmm. very much see that come head to head. Yeah, well, the thing with that, too, is oftentimes a foil character is not too many steps away from the character that is their yeah. opposite. They're often two sides to the same coin yep. to use sort of a two-face analogy yeah. in the midst of that. <laughs> um, they're, they're often, you know, uh, very similar, but have very different perspectives or outlooks yes. on how to accomplish very, very similar goals. Yeah. I mean, the Joker is like, we're the same, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's like the people need you now, but, you know, when they don't, they're just going to cast you out. So, yeah, foil characters, um, they're used to show something about the main antagonist that, you know, either we haven't seen or, like, reinforce something about that character. Um, and then kind of the last big one, there's a lot of these different types of characters that you can really delve into and kind of, like, I guess micro-dissect, but... I didn't want to go that deep, so I kind of kept it at, like, a macro level. But the last kind of big character is, like, a symbolic character. A character that's very clearly put into a narrative to stand for something. Mm. Whether that be, like, religious symbolism, whether that be, like, an ideological, you know, it's like, this person stands for justice. I mean, Captain America is a very clear example, you know. He stands for a certain type of justice that the filmmakers are trying to convey. And, you know, he would, he is, he is some of these other characters. And like I was going to mention, a lot of these things can be multi-layered. So you can have like a protagonist who is also happens to be a symbolic character that also happens to be a round character or any combinations of these things. Right. I mean, Superman, he's Jesus. Yes. You know? <laughs> what? Spoilers. <laughs> yep. Wow. Did not get that in, man, um, in uh, Batman v Superman, but, uh. Anyway, um, so yeah, um, symbolic characters, they just, they stand in for an important theme or idea. So that is the quick rundown of characters and understanding character roles and different types of characters. And like I mentioned earlier, I was going back and forth between a couple movies for the homework assignment, one of them being The Dark Knight, because I think it does a couple of these really well and it has really deep, interesting characters that are multi-layered. And then my other choice, which MJ and I have decided we're going to go with that film, is Les Mis, which is a musical, so I know some of you guys might be like, whoa, this is kind of out of left field, <laughs> but a lot of the stuff we do on film school is a little left field, maybe for some people who are like, silent film, I've never done that before. So bear with us, grow with us, um, experience something new. Um, but we're going to be looking at the 2013 version of Les Mis. There's a couple versions of Les Mis. Um, I know there's a live-action one with Uma Thurman and Jeffrey Rush, but we're not going to look at that one. We're going to look at the 2013 one. It's a musical, so everything is fully sung in it. I know that might be kind of difficult for some people, but I think because it has an ensemble cast, it does characters really well. All the different types of characters that we went through here, there's an example of at least one of those in the whole ensemble. A lot of the characters are multi-layered. Some of them are very different. Some of them you could argue like they could be a couple of these things or you could go one way or the other. So it will be a very interesting 
exercise to watch this film, to kind of use the notes that we talked about here, the stuff we learned, and try to see like if you can categorize some of these characters. So if you can find who the protagonist is, the antagonist, are they a static character? Are they a round character? You know, do they have a foil? Is there a symbolic character that very clearly stands for something in this film? And, you know, just watch this film with that lens in mind. And I think you'll be really surprised about how much you will pick up in this film. So, MJ, any thoughts? Yeah, I actually have a quick question. Um, yes. <clears throat> are there any characters, without telling us who they should be, but are there any characters that you, or like what kind of character they are, without telling us what kind of character they are, are there any characters that you think are important to look out for? I mean, we have, you know, Jean Valjean and... Javert. Javert, the two main characters, which, you know, should probably give you an idea of yeah. who they might be. <laughs> but, you know, maybe maybe characters that are on the edges of, of the, that main storyline. Okay, so other people to kind of keep in mind who might have some different depth to them mm -hmm. besides the main ones. Um, Marius, he is... Les Mis, if you're not familiar with it, it is kind of a... It's a musical, so it's kind of like in two acts, and there's a time jump in the middle. I think it's 11, 15 years, I don't know. Um, but Marius is one of the... He comes in as more of a main character in the second act of the film. And so he's definitely a character that is a little bit multi-layered that you'll want to pay attention to. While he's not the protagonist of the film, he definitely like, has a little bit more to in them, say, someone maybe like Cosette or mm -hmm. Eponine. Um, Fontaine is another one who, even though she doesn't have a ton of screen time, she does have a lot more, like, depth to her. Um, and she isn't necessarily just a flat character that's there to push the plot forward. So yeah. those are a couple examples. Cool. Yeah, so um, Les Mis is... I think it's available... All right, so Les Mis... Um, to watch this film. It's available on Amazon Video. You can rent it for $3. You can buy it for $10. Um, you could probably rent it from your library. It's old enough now that they would have it. Um, you can buy it on iTunes. It's there as well. So a couple different options of how you guys can get it. I think if you have any predisposition to like musicals at all, um, I think it's worth a purchase. Yeah. If you're kind of like on the fence and you're like, I don't know, just just rent it. I think I think you'll enjoy it, but you know, I don't want you to go and spend money and then be like, oh, well, Corey told me to do it. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those are your options for getting a hold of it. And like MJ said, we will revisit this in two weeks. So you have two weeks to watch this. Um, also, carve out a good chunk of time because Les Mis is pushing three hours. It is, yeah. It's like 240-something mm -hmm. for the runtime. Yep. It's all worth it. Um, MJ might disagree with me, but um, <laughs> um, it's very it's very dense. So be on the lookout for these characters, and there's a lot of stuff in there. So All right, let's go talk about, about Warcraft. Yeah, yeah. guys enjoyed that discussion of characters in film mm -hmm. you have two weeks to watch the movie so 
the next before episode, you'll yes. get the follow-up to that. Um, and we told you in the segment where you can find it and all that fun stuff. But we are here with William to yes. talk about Warcraft. And we brought you on, uh, one, because I thought it would be you would be a great podcast guest. Yes. And you. two, uh, I said I think you would be good for Warcraft, not knowing you were a big <laughs> Warcraft player. Um, and you then said, yes, I love Warcraft. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm very excited that you're here. Yeah, to talk about I'm Warcraft. very excited too. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll start with you. Give us kind of, I, I know nothing about Warcraft aside from the fact that Blizzard makes it. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a movie coming out. It's very popular. And there are orcs and humans. It sounds like your understanding of the film is the understanding of the general population uh, who's, who might be seeing this movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I'll start with just my history with Warcraft. Um, just in brief, uh, one day, uh, I was probably 12 years old, there was a <laughs> magazine called PC World or yeah, something, yeah. and there was a two-page fold-out ad, it was a screenshot from Warcraft 3, which was coming out, like, the next year, and I was like, oh my gosh, I gotta play this. <laughs> um, and so, in 2002, first game came out, um, I played it every day for one year, um, and I mean, <laughs> like, Christmas, Easter, Halloween, I played it every day <laughs> for one year. Um, I just loved it. I loved the characters. I loved the art style. Um, it was just, I don't know, it was great. And and then World of Warcraft came out. And that mm-hmm. just blew minds the world over. Yeah. I had never played an MMO before, and this finally was like getting to step inside this world. Um, the, really, the cool thing about it is that, kind of like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or any world that has deep lore, it goes deeper than just making up some fancy name. Um, mm-hmm. Saying, oh, look, go fight John Nakar of the Rothman tribe. You know, like, that's, yeah. that's meaningless. But in this one, they're saying, like, oh, go talk to, you know, Jaina Proudmore and whatever. Um, it just, everything has meaning and it's cool. So, the uh, the elevator pitch for Warcraft, the lore, is um, how in-depth should I go? Like, Well, inform us, because I'm sure most of the people listening have yeah. no oh, so concept. I certainly do. They'll be like, is this movie about World of Warcraft? Like, that's <laughs> probably, like, the most they're going to connect the lines. Okay, so to <laughs> a person who has no idea what Warcraft is, um, it is a fantasy universe, but it's uh, it's got a lot of magic. The, f- the kind of fantasy that's that's popular <laughs> today has very low magic, even, like, Lord of the Rings. Gandalf is the one guy, maybe, like, Galadriel, maybe Sauron, but, mm-hmm. right. like... You don't see flashy stuff. In Game of Thrones, very little magic. When you do see it, it's impressive and cool. In Warcraft, it's everywhere. And you will see it in this movie. If you watch the trailers, you're seeing people like throwing blue lightning and mm-hmm. junk. Um, I don't even know like where to start with this. There's so much. Um, the gist of it <laughs> is, um, it's the interaction of all these cultures uh, in this long, ongoing period of, of wars. And there's, I think, three. Because Warcraft 1 was like the first RTS game. Mm. Um it was, it was so bare, like the story wasn't there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, the three wars. And so in Warcraft 3, um, you meet the races, um, there's the humans that works, and then later you learn about the uh, the Tauren, who are like these cow people, and the, the night elves, who will not be in this movie, so I'm not going to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's just, oh, I feel like I'm just failing. It's so... One, two, and three are these three separate wars mm-hmm. in this universe yeah. that happen. So what's the inciting incident for these these races going to war? Okay, yes. so um, there are humans who live in a just very typical European-style fantasy, castles and knights and whatever. Yeah. Um, and then there are these orcs from this other planet. Um, and they have this evil sorcerer who makes deals with demons, and they make this giant gate, and they go through because their world is dying. So the orcs just want to live on this the human planet. Um but the orcs are not very nice, and the humans really aren't very nice either, and so they fight over land and freedom and whatever. 
Um, the thing is, the orcs are really big and really strong and powered by demon magic, so they just, <laughs> just kind of walk all over you. Um, and so in this first movie, you're going to see um, all these old characters who are, are not in any of the Warcraft games I played. Like, mm. they were from 1993. Like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, like the old story that nobody really... I mean, I guess they have um, comic books and stuff you can read that I don't read. Right. Um, so I know the gist of it, but... Okay, so then World of Warcraft happens, and what is that? So that was a sequel to Warcraft 3, story-wise. Um, that's, so, that's like 25 years after the stuff we're seeing in this movie. So oh, you're wow. seeing like the children and sometimes the grandchildren of the characters in the movie. So, oh, wow. Yeah, wow. you're not going to... like The stuff that I know is just not not there. Wow. That's yeah. so... So in the context of the movie, then, that's a huge risk. It's already a big risk to be doing a Warcraft movie at all. Mm-hmm. Um but to say, hey, we're not going to go with this lore that everyone knows. We're going to do this deep, deep dive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not to scrape the bottom of the barrel, but just go super far into the lore and bring out this lore that really isn't touched by a lot of the fans. Yeah. Um, I think that's... See, that almost mm-hmm. endears me to the movie more um, as a result. So with that being a thing and us seeing the origin of... Warcraft, um, and this world that they live in, is is this a good idea for it to be in the movie, or should they have just gone Mm -hmm. with the World of Warcraft lore that kind of everyone knows? Well, that's a good question, because I think that the fans of Warcraft, like me, Mm -hmm. who have played the games and have just loved the characters, uh, they're going to see it anyway. They Mm -hmm. don't care. And, and, And I think a lot of people have a passing knowledge of the lore, like me, where it's like, oh, I kind of know that name, and that's so and so's granddad, and um, but the risk is, like, I think they're planning on making more movies if this succeeds. I mean, obviously, it's a yeah. juggernaut. Yeah. But I'm concerned that it won't because it seems a little inaccessible because there's so much stuff they're covering. Like, they have dozens of novels and comic books and games, and, I mean, they have multiple encyclopedias of just Warcraft stuff. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is Archimond, the demon lord of the, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a lot. And so I'm worried that it's, this movie is going to be like a funnel for so much Warcraft stuff that it's just going to be a mess. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Corey, what do you, what do you think of, I mean, we're the lay people here. For <laughs> yes, sure. we are. <laughs> um, so what do you think about Warcraft? And specifically now knowing that this isn't the World of Warcraft movie, yeah. this is Warf- Warcraft 1, yeah. <laughs> the movie. Um, does that change your perception of it a little bit? or? I mean, it kind of, as we're discussing this, it kind of seems weird because I feel like it does make it inaccessible to people, but then at the same time, I can kind of understand, like, the rhetoric if, like, the people discussing were like, what if we go to, like, the very kind of, like, genesis of everything? So the people who are outside of Warcraft who have nothing, it's, like, it's the starting point for everybody. So even, like, the fans who are like, oh, yeah, like you were saying, like, I kind of remember some of those people, and that name's kind of familiar. Even they, like, get fully up to speed because that game, and it sounds like the lore from it, is so long ago. Mm-hmm. It's like, so that makes sense of, like, why they would go with that story. But it's like you were saying, there's so much that I feel like could get lost in translation in this. Mm-hmm. And there's so much about, like, picking and choosing, like, okay, what do we put in here for, like... Easter eggs or references or what what things we use to build the world and that could get really overwhelming or it yeah. could be like uh, maybe take this thing and not take this thing and maybe that other thing was more important than this and so I don't know I mean I'm going in completely blind <laughs> yeah I think I think knowing <clears throat> that 
it's Warcraft 1 <clears> the movie and not World of Warcraft the movie really tempers my expectations in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that if I hadn't known that, I would have been like, what is this? <laughs> because I, I, I don't know a lot about Warcraft, but I kind of know what World of Warcraft is. Yeah. And so I think if I would have gone and expecting the World of Warcraft movie and gotten this, I would have been like, where, what is any of this? <laughs> yeah. Um, so now knowing that, it's like, okay, I know what to expect. I know what I'm going to get out of this movie. Uh, as far as how it looks, I I think it could be good. I don't know. Oh my gosh. So to me, it's the mm-hmm. coin flip of the year. It's either going to just blow me away or it's going to meet my very low expectations. Because I think it's just going to be like a, a 3D ride at Universal. There's going to be like, oh, I know this guy popping out of me. Oh, oh look, <laughs> magic. And then there's like Lord Aran, the old kingdom before the undead destroyed it, you know? And... But aside from that passing thrill, like we call it the Doom the movie thrill, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think it's going to be deep at all. But I would love to be surprised. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so so do you guys, are you guys familiar with Duncan Jones as a director? Uh, I saw Moon, if that's what you're asking. Okay. I am not. Okay, so Duncan Jones has two movies under his belt. Uh, Moon is one of them, which is an excellent movie. Oh, yeah. Movie. Highly recommended. Yeah. Um, Lots of language, though, for some reason. Didn't need to be there. I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, watch it. There's like an F-bomb a minute in that. Huh. Um, and then Source Code, which is also very I good. I have seen Source Code. Yeah, I, I like that quite a bit. Oh. Although it's one of those movies that you can't rewatch. Um, oh. I saw it twice in theaters, fell asleep the second time because I knew what the twist was. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, also, he's David Bowie's son. Really? The mm-hmm. late David Bowie's son. Yes. Wow. Uh, yeah, so not only is this guy dealing with uh, potentially one of the biggest flops of the year, because I don't think this movie is going to make any money, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Um, he is also dealing with the death of his father. So he's got a lot on his plate as far as a creative goes. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, but with um, Moon and Source Code, I think he's a very capable director. Mm. I think he's incredibly capable. I think he builds awesome, awesome worlds, um, you know, and... One of the things I've been thinking about in terms of film lately is it might be the biggest sales job on the planet because you have to sell me on some ridiculous stuff sometimes as a movie viewer. Yeah, to just get you into the theater. Yes. Uh, You know, I mean, we're going to be, we're talking this week on the YouTube page about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Do you know how hard of a sell, if I didn't have the built-in nostalgia of, like, accepting them as a franchise as a child, if this were a new franchise yeah. in 2016, someone was like, okay, we're making this movie, and it's called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I would be like, is this a follow-up to Snakes on a Plane? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's like, what? Because the, the pitch is, they're teenagers who are mutants and ninjas and turtles. I was trying to explain this the other, like, yesterday to somebody who's not really acquainted with them, and... I was like, this sound, I sound crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like they're turtles and there's radioactive stuff, but they're also ninjas because there's a rat who is a ninja sensei. Like, it's just, I sounded like a crazy person. Yeah, but like, <laughs> I accepted them early on, yeah. and so I'm fine with yeah, them. Yeah, me too. But if this were a brand new IP, I would be like, what is this yeah. bullcrap? And it really, really have to be an excellent movie to sell me on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, like, how do you sell a movie without being able to use nostalgia to sell it. Mm-hmm. Like, you have no nostalgia for Warcraft. Yeah. And from what I've heard, the marketing for Warcraft is being grossly mishandled. Oh, they, yeah. They, they don't know how to, to sell no. it. There's, like, rocks, uh, rock and roll music yeah, playing yeah, underneath yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like, there's, like, dubstep. Yeah, it's like, who, what is this? It's very inconsistent. And even Duncan Jones has uh, distanced himself from it. <laughs> yeah. Which is so oh. sad. Yeah. Uh, which is not a good sign, because uh, the biggest movies that come to mind that were mishandled marketing-wise is, like, Princess Bride, huge bomb. 
Um, really, basically anything that is a sleeper classic. Yeah. Um, well, not Napoleon. John Carter, I think, was very poorly marketed. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. It told you nothing about the film except that the movie name is John Carter. Yeah, you're just like, why is yeah. he in space? Yeah. Like, well, what? He's jumping a lot? Yeah. Well, what happened is they had... It was originally called John Carter of Mars, which is the title of the book. And then Disney released a movie called Mars Needs Moms, and it was one of their biggest flops ever in the history of the studio. And they were like, people don't like movies with the name Mars in it. And so they dropped off Mars <laughs> from the title. So, oh, wow. And then they lost like $75 million on John Carter. Oh, at least. The yeah. difference between two words. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not sure if that... Well, well, and the idea... That was just such a dumb idea of, we'll surprise them with Mars, was ridiculous. And then The Martian was one of the best movies of last year, yeah. so it was not Mars. Yeah, um, yeah I, um, I... I Duncan Jones was on the Nerdist Podcast recently. There's a lot of Nerdist Podcast stories on this episode. And <laughs> he's a very endearing guy. He's very honest and likable. And so I'm rooting for him. But I just don't know. I'm really skeptical about this movie actually being a viable IP to be translated into film. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago was, mm -hmm. should video games be adapted into movies? And, you know, you can go back and listen to our thoughts on mm -hmm. that. Um, it's in Before Civil War. Yes. Uh, but, William, you obviously weren't here for that discussion. So what do you think about just video games in general? Should they be adapted to film? Do you think there's... The idea, like, do you think it's a good idea? Like, is there a place for that? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think that there's any need to ever adapt <laughs> a video game to a movie because the things, the experiences that a person enjoys in a video game, it's very different from the experiences in a movie. If you think of a book, that's kind of like this linear experience, right? Like things are happening, characters are talking in this order. Whereas a game, like maybe it's it's much more modular and fragmented, and there's a story here, and then the player, you know, kills ghouls for a hundred hours, and then there's more story. Mm -hmm. um, and while I, under, I appreciate and I understand that Warcraft has this great setting, this great world building, um, I'm not sure the characters have ever been deep enough to hold up a plot. Um, at least, certainly not in Warcraft 1, which was written by guys who were not writers. They were oh. just video game programmers, making yeah. up a thin backstory to p paste their, their game <laughs> on. Um, and so they've, they since then have gone back and retconned all of the, the old stuff. Um, but... In general, I don't think so. And then, I mean, even look at The Last of Us or the Uncharted games. Yeah. Like, really great stories and characters, but do we really need a movie that is already as good as a video game? Well, and those games are so cinematic as it exactly. is. Exactly. They yeah. already are a movie that just happens to have parts that you play. So, no, I don't think that there's any real need to do that. That's actually the best justification I've heard for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because my <laughs> argument against it was, well, books are a very... Because the argument that I kept seeing was, well... Movies are passive, games are interactive, but in my brain, so is a book. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. a book is also interactive. But, like you said, there's a very linear... Yeah. You know, someone's already written that out. The interaction comes from you reading the words on the page. Yeah. yeah. And so, I guess I get that more now. Um, okay, so, you know, we've ruled out, uh, potentially, like, video games making a good leap into movies. Game of Thrones is huge right now. Um, do you, <laughs> That's understandable. Yeah. Do you <laughs> think... That uh, this movie can coast on a Game of Thrones audience, like like fantasy's popular, or is it just Game of Thrones has something special? Um, I don't watch the show. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I've read oh. part of the first book. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and I found it very boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it, but I mean, it's been since what Lord of the Rings that we've had really a strong film franchise that's in uh, in the fantasy world. Yeah. 
Well, okay, so I don't think the Game of Thrones is successful because it's fantasy. I think it is successful because it has amazing characters, epic plot. Like, it's very satisfying to watch. It succeeds for the same reason that any entertainment succeeds. It's because people love the characters. Um, so to ask that Game of Thrones fans are going to like it, uh, my gut says no. Game of Thrones is not very flashy. It's much more of like a medieval or a Viking or, or you know, it's realism. Yeah. Um, and then the characters are just amazingly real. And then you get Warcraft where everything is flashy, the magic is blue lights, um, and the characters, from what I can tell from the trailers and what I understand from the old lore, are not really there. Like, you compare Tywin Lannister to Garona, the half-orc assassin, um... It's just not there. For <laughs> yeah, that makes that makes sense. I think on a thematic level, the movie looks uh, really, uh, really appealing to me. I don't know if it looks necessarily interesting because I don't know how deep the themes are going to go. Yeah, I really like the idea that I've gotten from the first trailer, not so much the second trailer, of these two races that are sort of forced to coexist with each other, and they hate each other. So they come to blows, and then eventually they realize there's a threat much bigger than them mm-hmm. yeah. on the horizon, and then they have to unite against that. I think that's a really, really solid starting yeah. starting point. And I think if anything is going to sell me on this movie, it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Duncan Jones can do it because he's proven himself in the past to be capable, although he's an admitted gigantic fan of this stuff, which leads me to the question... Should fans, hardcore fans, be allowed to make the movies <laughs> of those properties, or should it be someone who's got more of a a tangential understanding like of the property, more objective. where nothing's nothing's as precious to them? Yeah, that's a tough one because it's like I think about it and I think about like franchises or characters that I really love, and I feel like you can kind of make the argument both ways, but it just depends because if you're more of like a fanboy or like a fangirl person where you're just so in love with one aspect maybe of the character, you're going to kind of be like tunnel vision to like, we got to make sure we get this thing in here in this story arc, in this part of their character where you might be missing like the whole like wide spectrum of like, okay, that character is important and maybe they're like the main character, but there's also other things in the story that helps like round out the world and that character. Um, but then from the other side, you know, it's like I think sometimes people who are best acquainted with the source material, I think are better, ha- like better, they're the better people who I think should handle those films. So it's like X-Men recently. I, like Brian Singer... I think he like really loves X Men stuff, and like I'm not saying comic books. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not saying comic books, and that's that's where I'm going. And I don't think comic books have to be exactly like the films. But I mean, there I've heard stuff like you know when they're filming on set, he's like, no comic books, don't go reference the characters from any of that. Like I want it to be completely like this vision that I have in my head. And so in situations like that, I'm kind of like. I know they're not the same thing, but you're not even, like, really carrying over some of the themes or, like, the essences of those characters. And so in a situation like that, I'm kind of like, maybe it would be better if we actually had somebody who is really passionate and, like, understands the world better, like, directing those types of film. And so that's why I'm kind of like, I'd rather give Marvel the rights to X-Men. Because every time they have one of these projects, even though they bring in, like, different directors, even if they don't have a history with that property or IP... It's like they go and they read the source material even before like drafting out kind of like, okay, this is going to be like a new kind of different script, but they understand those characters. 
And I feel like that aspect is important. Yeah. What do you think, William? Well, I think that there's a lot of emphasis put on the director for the success of a project, but you got to remember there's writers behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as for, f- like, fandom... Affecting... Duncan Jones co-wrote the movie. Well, I'm a co. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, so, it's I'm kind of going both ways, because the first thing that came to mind was Shyamalan directing Airbender. And oh. He's no. a huge fan of that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the uh, foreword to one of my... Um, the Airbender art book mm. is written by in my Shyamalan. He says, I have a picture of uh, Sokka and uh, the... Uh, gosh, it's been a while since I watched the show. <laughs> Aang. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, Aang and all the, the characters mm-hmm. um, above his like kitchen door or something. Yeah. Um, and he's a huge fan, but obviously that project was just a disaster. Yes. Um, so I don't know if it has to do with their respect for the source material. I think it just has to do with their ability to um, capture the essence of the the franchise yeah. and really you know have a story that works have characters that work and have pacing and everything so to answer your question uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean you know the, the big one I keep thinking of uh, in relation to that question is J.J. Abrams um, you know uh, the guy's made two Star Trek movies a Spielberg movie and a Star Wars movie <laughs> and and a Mission Impossible movie mm. and you know, uh, a lot of his Star Trek uh, stuff feels like fanfic. A lot of Star Wars kind of felt like fanfic to me. Um, and a lot of the Spielberg movie, as much as I love it, it felt like Spielberg fanfic. It really did. His Mission Impossible movie, I don't remember liking that much, but I think it might be the most... Like, the most... Um, singular vision he's ever had as a director as far as putting his own stamp on it Hmm. um rather than just sort of trying to ape a specific style yeah um you know and and we've talked at length on this podcast about jj abrams but i think he's the perfect example of his movies that he makes aren't bad i like the first star trek movie i hate the second one i super eight's my favorite uh uh, jj abrams movie and it's a huge spielberg fanfare yeah uh star wars is good um, you know, it's, it, I'm not as crazy about it as a lot of people were, but I liked it yeah. a lot. I liked it a lot. And it just, but I feel like if there weren't that fanness in him, he could have made something truly transcendent and great with those things, you know? Yeah. Um, I just feel like the, 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 the slavish, uh, sticking to the source material is, can kind of hurt him specifically a lot of the time. But he still he still makes decent movies, so it's hard to it's like it's hard for me to call any of his movies outright bad. Yeah. Um. Whereas you know, Last Airbender is a disaster. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. You know, or or Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman is you know yeah. if at Ugh. at most at most. Uh, uh, mediocre. mediocre and at worst a dumpster fire yes. oh I'm um, so glad you think that <laughs> yeah. uh, I actually I kind of like the movie but uh, it's he's such a Batman fan that he hates Superman <laughs> um, that's, yeah. that's the big thing with Zack Snyder is it's clear he loves Batman it's clear he hates Superman yeah um and, and, you know, I, I, to the point where even the Batman stuff, like, isn't that good in, it's the better of the two things yeah. that happen, but mm-hmm. it's not great. Yep. And Christopher Nolan, um, I've been seeing a lot of retroactive hate for his, his trilogy, Why? which makes zero sense to me, and I bet you those people are lying who hate that movie, yeah. or that set of movies. I think Christopher Nolan is more of, uh, he finds the character fascinating from this sort of moral, 
uh, area. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of, like, Christopher Nolan kind of hates comic books. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and he was able to craft probably the best vision of that character on screen, even though I think the third one isn't that good. Yeah. It's much better than uh, Batman v Superman. Yep. Yeah. Um, and The Dark Knight is the best comic book movie I've ever seen. Yeah. So... so it seems like Nolan is not really a fan of Batman. Yeah, and he understands him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's going back to it's like even if he's not a fan, he took the time to probably go to the source material, read it, and mm-hmm. understand what is the essence of Batman. He's a writer. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. understands how to take apart a character in a story and put it back together in a way that works for a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Right. So I guess I guess you're right. Like the question is kind of like shruggy guy. Like I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> last thing before we wrap up, uh, the movie aesthetically is, uh... Oh, I'm thrilled. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah. thrilled to see this. I want to see it in 3D, and I never see movies in 3D. Okay. When he jumps off the cliff onto a griffin barefoot, like, I was going to see it right there. <laughs> You're like, that sold me. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah. Um, th- it's been pretty divisive, actually. A lot of people are like, well, it looks like a PS4 cutscene, and, uh... Agreed. But yeah, but I feel like that fits. Yeah. I feel like that totally works in mm-hmm. Warcraft, you know? I don't know. It's a video game movie. Why should it not look like a video game? Right. Yeah. I mean, if you had a world where you have griffins and orcs and, like, giant dragons and stuff, like, you can't do a gritty Batman Begins thing, because you're going to have CG. Yeah. Games. So why not just push it into the the very colorful Warcraft style, which they have? Yeah. Um, which, as far as I can remember, looks nothing like any movie I've seen in a while. Yeah, it at least looks interesting. Yeah. Um... You know, and I like, I kind of like the big armor on the human characters. <laughs> yeah. It looks really silly, but it looks so true to the Warcraft yeah. style. You know, that's one of the things that it pops into my head as soon as you say Warcraft is that big, dumb blue armor with the giant shoulders. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, that there's, there's this, having watched that, um, the Bo Burnham comedy special, that I watched this week. This is uh, this is weird, but I'll I'll get to it. All right. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's a standard comedian, but he does a lot of performance art type stuff in his shows. Um, but it, what I loved about it is um, a lot of his stuff is honesty through artifice. He makes you extremely aware that what everything he's doing on stage is a lie, but he also challenges a lot of uh, perceptions about the world around him. While he's doing that, uh, it can get a little ranty sometimes, but I think that, that, you know, that's what cinema is. I think it's honesty through artifice. Like everything about the movies is fake. Yeah. But they, you know, the, why we connect to them is very honest. Yeah. And I think Duncan Jones is incredible at finding that balance. Moon is, there's so much honesty through artifice. Like there's so much good moral, like juicy moral stuff to chew on. In that movie... With just three characters. With just three characters, and it's, like, in space with a talking robot, like a talking Kevin Spacey robot. There's cloning involved. Like, honesty through artifice, I feel like, really. Um, And so I think think if this movie works, it's because Duncan Jones hit that balance between the extremely artificial aesthetic look of the movie and the extremely grounded point of view of these characters and reasons or motivations behind what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think if he can sell the motivations, I've already bought into the aesthetics. Yeah. But I think if you can sell them out of the motivations of these characters, I think it'll work. I just think it might be kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. I, d- I don't think it's going to be terrible. Yeah. I just think it's going to be kind of boring. 
From what I've read in some earlier reviews, they say the movie really rushes from one thing to the next. Mm-hmm. And you never get enough time to really enjoy the characters. It's just like Easter eggs. You're like, oh, I know him. I know that place. Um, so I'm not as concerned about the boring aspect mm-hmm. as just not being able to have a cohesive scene. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's going to move too fast because it has so much stuff to get through. Oh, yeah. Star Wars problem. Yeah. Of course, yeah, true. Problem. And for a newer audience who have no hooks for that stuff, it's like that could be a problem because you're like, I'm trying to get a feel for who is this person in the world. Oh, next scene. Okay, what? Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, these early reviews are really bad. Yeah. Um, they're yeah. calling it really bad. And uh, like I was seeing comparisons to Battlefield Earth yeah. in some of these reviews. I just don't buy that, man. Yeah, I have watched Battlefield Earth recently. Me too. Yeah, uh, even with the the tilted camera and John Travolta in like weird makeup, like there's no way this is as bad as that. I no, I don't buy it at all. I've seen <laughs> Battlefield once, uh, yeah. Battlefield Earth one time in my life, and that was enough times in yeah. my life. I feel and like I might be seeing this film. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. Okay. You really don't. All right. Man, do you not need to see Battlefield Earth, Corey? Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, go to YouTube, find a review for Battlefield Earth, and then there will be entertainment value along with the... the okay. Video. Yeah. There's none in the movie <laughs> none. as it is. None. Um, so I just can't see the movie being an outright disaster. Um, what do you think, Corey? Um, yeah, I feel like I, I tend to agree with you. Um, I don't think... I don't think it's going to tank in the sense of, like, this is going to be so horrible, but I just don't think a lot of people are going to go see it. And then, like, for the problems that we've kind of, like, possible problems we've kind of talked about, I feel like that's going to alienate even the people who go to see it. Like, it's going to feel too rushed. They're not going to really get to learn the character. And so I think, overall, I don't think it will perform well. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm even kind of wondering, it's like, will it win the box office the week it comes out? I don't know. I don't know what it's opening against. It's opening against The Conjuring 2, which won't win the box office because it's R-rated. Uh, but it's also opening against Magic Heist 2. Um, Magic Heist 2 is going to Is that the sequel it? to Now You See Me? Yeah. yeah. I call I call Now You See Me Magic Heist. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's called Now You See Me 2. Uh, it, it was originally called Now You See Me, colon, The Second Act, which is a much better title, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with Now You See Me 2, uh, you've got much more recognizable talent yeah. in front of the camera. Broader appeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a PG-13. Warcraft is also a PG-13. But it's also a sequel to a franchise for some reason. I don't know why this is a franchise I don't movie. know how they made right. this a franchise. But, um, you know, I mean, freaking Harry Potter is in it. Yeah. You know? So people sure. are like, I'm going to go. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to go to Now You See Me Too. And I think Warcraft is going to tank. And I think The Conjuring will probably come in second because it's got a, limit, a more limited audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, as much as I want this movie to be good, and I'm super optimistic about it, and I think that I could come out the other side thinking this movie might be uh, 2016 Speed Racer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that it's going to tank. Much like Speed Racer, yeah. Game, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you, I just don't know if, if the franchise is going to happen. I don't think it will. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah. Uh, you guys have anything else? Uh, what would it take to make this movie movie of the year for you? Movie of the year? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ryan Coogler directing it. <laughs> um, n- uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, a lot. It would have to be a lot of outside stuff. Hmm. Um, there's a Spielberg movie opening this year. That oh, yeah, really what the B- the BFG. Oh oh, what oh Spielberg man. MJ loves Spielberg. Yeah, he's my favorite director. So there's an inherent bias to that. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think uh, Civil War not being as good would also have to... Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, or Black Panther being terrible in Civil War would uh, would make this movie maybe movie of the year for me. Wait, why? I love Black Panther. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. But why so, would if, the... so, that was, so if he was terrible in Civil War, that would make me like Warcraft more. Mm. But he was awesome in Civil War. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, like, right now, that's my... I feel problem. like Warcraft would really have to surprise me because, like you mm-hmm. said, there's a couple up there like Civil War there's I think VFG is probably going to be really good I think Finding Dory is going to be pretty good yeah uh, The Nice Guys was a <laughs> nice, nice surprise really, so yeah. yeah I think there's a lot of external stuff hmm. that would um, make me have to make it movie of the year for me but I really think that if if I like this movie I'm going to love it hmm. I don't know if I'm going to I think I'm either going to love it or be like that was alright but I don't think I'm going to hate it Hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a, a movie of extremes for me. I'm very curious to see like when we come back to do the after show. Um, basically, we're going to have a fan who saw it and a total uh, yeah. non-believer, as it were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or two of them actually. Yeah, yeah, two. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Yes. Um, go check out the YouTube page every Tuesday. We mm-hmm. do a new uh, video for you and, and a different movie and a different movie yes. than what we do on the podcast. So this week we're talking about after TMNT out of the shadows. Yes. And uh, we're still looking for 50 hashtags on hashtag MJWatchesShallows. If you don't know what that is, Jaws is my favorite movie of all time, and Corey's a terrible human being. And he started this co-host. He started this meme on on the uh, the show where people um, have been asking me if I'm going to go see the Shallows because, and I quote, "It looks like a better version of Jaws." So I have thrown down the challenge that if I am able to get 50 hashtags on hashtag MJ watches shallows, that's 50 unique hashtags. One person can't just go type hashtag MJ watches shallows 50 times. Yeah. That's been a lot of people's plans. Uh, if I get 50 unique tweets uh, or comments on a Facebook post that the, the show has yeah. or emails that just say in the subject line, you don't have to put anything in the body, just type hashtag MJWatchesShallows before and after show at gmail.com. Yeah. If I get 50 across the board, I will go see and review the shallows. Yes. Um, also, we have launched a blog of sorts Yes. Um, called Real Perspective, and that's where all this content lives right now. Um, and we'll be living for the future. Um, that real perspective, that's that real, R-E-E-L, perspective.blogspot.com. We're working on getting a domain. Um, we should get one soon, but for, mm-hmm. for now, um, you can go there. I'm doing written reviews over there. Um, Corey, uh, you're going to be posting YouTube videos there, and hopefully yes. you'll be doing uh, some. maybe some video game blogging. Yes. And, yeah, I'm really excited about it. That realperspective.blogspot.com mm-hmm. to go find all that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MJSmith891. William, are you on Twitter? Um, I think I have one. Uh, I believe it is Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R underscore Cranch, C-R-A-N-C-H. All right. Yes. I don't tweet, but I do have a Twitter. All, all right. right. Corey. And you can find me, as always, at CatInTheHat49. You can follow the show at Before and After Pod. That's at Before, the letter N, After Pod. I plugged it already, but Before and After Show at gmail.com. If you're a Warcraft fan and uh, 
Yeah. You know, you agree or disagree with William uh, on on this, or you want to yell at him about getting the lore incorrect. Uh, you're a nerd, but also, if you want to we talk want, to us about we that. Wanna hear, we want to hear from you. Uh, before and after show at gmail.com. Um, find us on Facebook, the Before and After Show. Yes. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, thatrealperspective.blogspot.com. Really excited about that. Um, so make sure you check that out. Yeah. And until next week, go watch a romance movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs>